morning. Good job being out. I sound like Russ last week, but good job being out this morning and braving the weather. There's a surprising number of people here, considering how horrible it is outside. As Russ has said, my name's Andy, and um, this is the fifth week now in our Philippians series. If you haven't been here for any, any of the ones before, don't worry. You can pick up anywhere through this series. But if you have been with us, I hope that the book that's going to appear on the screen has been serving you well. There's an amazing resource going with this series, which we're using, which has daily devotionals in. And they're short, snappy things that help us unpack each week's message as we go. If you haven't had one, please, on your way out, there'll be some out in the foyer. So please pick one up, because we'd love for you to have one. They're free of charge. They're there to serve you as we go through this series together, and, and we disciple ourselves. As I said, my name's Andy, and I've been part of this church for about 16 years now. And during that time, plenty about this church has changed. But there's one thing that hasn't changed. I mean, how boring is that? There's one thing that I still hear loads of prayers about. There's one thing that young Christians seem to notice, old Christians seem to notice. There's one thing that just doesn't really seem to have changed. And we can grow so familiar with that thing, we half the time don't necessarily notice it. Is it the coffee? No, I think we've got that pretty well done. Is it life groups? You heard a great push then. I think we're doing them pretty well as well. Controversially, is it the volume of our worship music? <sighs> That's changed a bit, up and down over time. The one thing that has never changed and why I love this church so much is because we keep Jesus Christ at the center of everything we do. We spend at least 25 minutes raving and singing songs about Jesus on a Sunday morning. We regularly have people up here sharing stories about how Jesus has transformed their lives. And if someone preaches on the Old Testament, the period of, of the world before Jesus existed, somehow they still end up back at Jesus as if the whole thing seems to hinge on him. Which, of course, is a bit sarcastic, but it can be true, because I think it's easy for us to often forget that so much of, the, of our everyday life, sorry, all of our everyday lives, hinges on the gospel and on the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to continue, as I've said, to look at Philippians. The scholars suggest that when Paul wrote this book, he, uh, sorry, this letter to the church in Philippi, the church there was probably around 10 years old. And what that tells me is it was a church that probably didn't look, in some ways, too dissimilar to ours. It looked very different, but it had something in common, which is that there were people exploring Christianity there, there were new Christians there, and there were old Christians there. So this morning, as we look at this, um, as we look at this passage, can I encourage you that Paul is challenging each of those people. If you're here exploring Christianity, if you've been a Christian for a short time or a long time, this message applies to each and every one of us, regardless, and I hope this message will speak to you. And as we get going, I just want to pray. Lord God, I thank you for the joy of getting to worship you. I thank you that your Bible isn't some drab book which you use to pick up and beat us over the head. But no, Lord, this book is a living thing that paints a picture of how glorious you are. 
And Lord, as we see just how glorious you are, Lord, I pray that you would help that bubble over and explode into worship this morning. We pray it all in your name. Amen. The passage is going to appear behind me, but if you do have a Bible or an app, then uh, why don't you flick to Philippians 3, and we're going to read verses 1 to 11. Further, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him to death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I love Paul's opening to this chapter. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I'm doing a talk this morning about worship. That is like me done. I might as well just drop the mic. Boom. Paul summed it up right there. You want to know what worship is all about? Then rejoice in the Lord. But sadly for you, I'm not going to get down now. (laughs) Because Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on. And in some ways, he goes on in quite a surprising way. He's had like this nice, upbeat, rejoice in the Lord opening. And then he suddenly moves into watch out for those dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. It's like, chill out, Paul. Where's this suddenly come from? Why is this? Why have you written this? His language is actually quite strong here to the reader of the day and would have been quite offensive. If I was to rephrase some of the stuff and say it from this platform that he's just said, I'd probably be booted out and not be asked to speak again. So what is Paul going on about? Why is Paul so upset? The church in Philippi was a Christian church and its core fundamental belief, therefore, was supposed to be, believe in Jesus Christ and you will receive eternal life. But the church was having people come in, and they were getting hold of newly saved Christians, and they were trying to drag them back under the law. They were claiming that in order to be confident in their eternal life, they had to be circumcised. And that's where Paul's comment about mutilators of the flesh comes from. 
They weren't literally mutilating people's flesh. But what Paul was saying is this. When you have a wobble or you wonder if you're saved, will you have eternal life in heaven? Is your confidence in the fact that you're circumcised is what he was asking? Or is your confidence in Jesus Christ? The church knew the answer should have been Jesus. And if that was the case, then Paul was saying, why are you bothering to get circumcised? Because if your confidence is in Christ Jesus, then in that case, all you literally are doing is mutilating your flesh. Why bother? Because you don't need to do that anymore. That's why Paul is so annoyed here. And I just need to clarify as well the word confidence that Paul is using here. Paul isn't talking about some fleeting kind of sense of confidence, a little moment of confidence. No, he's talking full-blown life or death confidence here. The best way I can think of communicating this is when I was young, I used to love climbing and I hate heights. So whenever I climbed, I would always obviously climb with a harness. And when you're climbing with a harness, your confidence can be in one of two places. It can be in your fingers and toes that are holding you onto that wall, or it can be in the harness and the rope, knowing that if, well, when you fall off, that is going to be the thing that catches you. I can tell you my confidence was never in my ability to hold myself on the wall. I could not have gotten over my fear of heights through doing that. Instead, my confidence was placed in the harness. And that's the kind of confidence Paul's talking about here. On that day, when you are taking your final breaths, where is your confidence in your salvation? Is it in your fingers and toes and the some of the things that you think might hold you on the wall? We're going to unpack some of those things in just a moment. But I also just wanted to point out Paul's instruction here at the start of verse 2 where he says, watch out. Paul is stressing this, and that means it's something that we can't just take for granted. This isn't part of Christian life, Christian walk, Christian discipleship, being a follower of Jesus that we can just let bubble around and be, be around us all the time. We need to make sure it's checked and it doesn't go unchecked. And he's clearly very concerned and is talking about everyone in the church continuing to watch out. Watch out is quite an active phrase. It's not a passive thing that happens. But how do you watch out? Before Christmas, George and I decided that we would uh, invest in Amazon Prime. I hope a number of you know what that is. We decided it would be a great idea because not only does it give us great delivery for all of our nieces and nephews' Christmas presents and the run-up to Christmas, but we got next-day delivery which is awesome. Free next day delivery on most items. That's pretty good. We found ourselves planning the Christmas youth party that we were having, and the day before the youth party, we suddenly thought of an extra game to add in. This involved some candy canes. Oh, I won't tell you the game, but we needed some candy canes, and it was too late to go out to the shops. All the shops had sold out because they were getting rid of Christmas stock. So what do we do? Amazon Prime, hello, candy canes, next day delivery, yes, please. We ordered them on the Thursday. Youth is on the Friday get in modern technology. <laughs> How do you think I waited for those candy canes? 
I was in all of that Friday, and I wasn't sat upstairs out of earshot of somebody knocking on the door. This was something we needed to get our youth party, like one of our games going in our youth party. So I sat downstairs, I was looking out the window, checking for vans, checking, I was so paranoid, I went to the porch a couple of times to check to see if one of those annoying delivery slips had been put through because the delivery man might have come from the other direction. I was actively watching out. And if you're interested, by the way, George left for youth at half six, youth started at half seven, and the candy canes arrived at eight. <laughs> yeah. So that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, watch out. He's saying this to everyone. If you've been a Christian for a week, if you've been a Christian for 40 years, watch out, because you can't afford to let this go unchecked. Look out. Be on your guard. Think about this. Mull it over. Wrestle with it. Please don't let it go dormant, because this is seriously important. Paul is crying out to the church here. So what are these things that Paul is crying out to the church to watch out for? Paul goes on to give us his great list. If anyone... Come on. If anyone has reason to think they look good in front of God... Trust me, it's me, says Paul. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, with regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on law, faultless. I find that last one a little bit hard to believe, Paul, but okay. Each of those things spoke to the culture in that, in that day. So let's unpack some of the significance behind these things. Paul says he was circumcised on the eighth day. What he's communicating there is in terms of being Jewish, he was like the best Jew going because he wasn't a converted Jew. He wasn't somebody who came to Jewish faith afterwards. He was born into this and was circumcised when he was eight days old. Not only that, it was a mark on his body. If he was stripped naked, there was no denying that Paul was a Jew. He says he was an Israelite and further adds that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's significant because in those days, the tribe of Benjamin was known as a well-loved tribe. That's where the temple had stood with Israel, with the tribe of Benjamin. And not only that, when the tribes had scattered, the tribe which stuck with the tribe of Judah was the tribe of Benjamin. He goes on to say that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. That meant his mother and his father were both Jewish. Therefore, he was essentially like a thoroughbred Jew. Being a Pharisee meant Paul knew the law better than most other Jewish groups. And he was an expert at keeping it, or with my sarky little comment a moment ago, he was probably an expert in twisting it so that it appeared that he could keep the law. Hence, he said, he's faultless and gave him grounds to claim that if righteousness was earned by being faultless, he's your guy. Finally, as many of us will know, he zealously persecuted the church in, in its infancy, and that speaks for itself. So if you want the epic Jewish guy, Paul's your man. He's talking to a church who knew all about that Jewish stuff, but that doesn't really necessarily communicate a vast amount to us. So if Paul lists those things and says people were putting confidence in their salvation in that culture, then what is it we need to look out for 
that we might be putting confidence in our salvation for in our culture. I've come up with a small amount of suggestions. These are only a few, but they're common. And I hope that they set your mind thinking about others that appear in your life. And I can say that I've struggled with different ones of these at different times. These things creep in, and this is why Paul is saying that we need to watch out. So do you find that some of your credentials, some of your confidence, come from your serving role? You might have a narrative that plays out something a little bit like this. I serve three times a month, and I'm a team leader. What's more, I serve in an area that involves teaching the Bible. It's not just doing things. So clearly that is more important to God. That makes God notice me, and that makes my service worth so much more. How about this one? This one really resonates with me at times. The type of church you go to. Ha! Have you seen the other churches in Bournemouth? Some of them still have organs that lead the worship. Let alone that, some of the congregation don't put their hands up to worship. It's not like my church. I go to a commission church as part of New Frontiers. So we're constantly seeing the Holy Spirit move, and we clearly take the Bible a lot more seriously than a lot of other churches. That definitely means I am going to heaven, unlike some other people. Another one that might play out in your mind, having quiet times. If you're on Insta and you see that coffee cup by the cactus, by the river, I've never had a quiet time like that. The narrative might be a bit something like this. I'm so holy because I get up earlier than other people. Oh, hello, that got a big response. And I get up on the weekends. I'm a seven-dayer, not just a five-dayer. That's right. Because I have quiet times, that means God's more likely to bless me and give me the things I desire. And unlike those people who just shoot up a prayer every now and then. And if you're exploring Christianity or if you've been a Christian 40 years, this one might resonate with you. Good deeds and doing good things. I'm a nice person who gives loads of money to charity. Once a year, I hold a coffee morning, which encourages my friends to give to people more needy than themselves. Not only that, but I help people when they need practical things doing. I'm fairly certain God would let me into heaven because I do good things like that. Now, there's a caveat with those. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Those things are well-intentioned and are often rooted in good places. But this is exactly what Paul is saying, because do you remember his warning? Watch out. It doesn't take long before that serving role that you were doing because you wanted to serve God, he suddenly starts enslaving you because it's trying to add to your salvation and makes you think you look better before God. It gives you a title, it gives you power, and it makes you suddenly feel a lot more important. And your, confident, your confidence very subtly starts to shift, and you think God will view, your, view you differently because now you're serving. So to go deeper into this, let me ask you again, where is your confidence? Let me reframe it. When you take your final breaths, what will your thoughts be? I think I served enough times a week to get me into heaven. 
Will your confidence be, I think I went to the right type of church, and surely that will get me through those pearly gates? Will your confidence be, because I read my Bible every day, I prayed, I sung a worship song, and I fasted once a week, God will let me have eternal life? Or will your confidence be, I've been a really good person who does charity works, good deeds, and therefore God will be happy with that and allow me entry into heaven? If any of that resonates with you, and trust me, some of that resonates with me, then you're probably at risk of trying to add to your salvation. And your confidence in Christ is subtly moving. So that all sounds a bit drab, but Paul thankfully moves on to really encourage us in changing our thinking. I'm going to read from verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, you ready? This is like the crux of the whole thing. And be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, or let me rephrase that, not having a righteousness that comes from serving more, not having a righteousness that comes from my church denomination, not having a righteousness that comes from how amazing and frequent my quiet times are, and not having a righteousness that comes from the amount of charity and good deeds I do, but a righteousness that comes through faith and only faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, the righteousness that comes from God and is based on faith. I love that. I love that. And if you are feeling down this morning or you are feeling anxious because you wonder how God views you and if what you've done is good enough for God, Paul blows that apart right now. He says, it does not matter because your confidence isn't in you. Our confidence isn't in us. Instead, it's, it's in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it is only in him. As I read that passage, I wonder, though, if I might have lost two groups of people. For some, it's so familiar, it might have fallen on deaf ears. But for others, your ears might prick up. But you've got a question like, Andy, what's the deal with this Jesus bloke? For those who don't know the significance of Jesus, here's why he's significant. He is essential, as I've just been saying, to our eternal life. Charity work won't get us right with God Putting on coffee mornings won't get us right with God. Being the best parents, being the best sibling, being the best child, it just won't get us right with God. Things had gotten so bad in humanity's relationship with God that he had to step down from heaven, enter the man of Jesus Christ. He lived perfectly and was never out of relationship with God, not once. But then he did the ultimate thing. He took on what you and I should have had, which was death. He took all of our imperfections, and he went to the cross, and he died. But what came next is truly remarkable. All those imperfections, 
He left dead in the ground. He buried them, he dealt with them, and then he rose to life and rose to heaven. So the big deal about Jesus is that he says, if we want to rise to heaven like him and have eternal life, then we must acknowledge that we are imperfect, but that we can give our imperfections to him. Let him slay them, let him deal with them, let him bury them, and then we too can, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. That is confidence in Jesus Christ. But if you've been around church for any length of time, you might be in that other group of people I was referring to, who I've potentially lost because I spoke about Jesus. Paul's challenge to us, going back to that first challenge of watch out, is this. He's essentially saying, have you got bored? (laughs) Does it play out a little bit like this with your familiarity? It's baptism morning. (laughs) Someone's going to stand up and talk all about Jesus and preach about the gospel. And then meanwhile, next year, you've got some excitable puppy going, yes, get in, it's baptism morning. We get to hear all about how Jesus has changed lives. And then someone's going to get up and spend time unpacking the gospel. It's like when you get something new. You get a new phone, you get a new app, a new car, a new way of doing something that's going to revolutionize your life, a new diet. And you have this honeymoon period where it's like the best thing ever. You know that person at the party who's rabbiting on about that thing they've just got? You're like that with the gospel. But then it becomes familiar and it becomes boring. And if you've known Jesus for any length of time and are familiar with him and all that his perfect life, perfect death and perfect resurrection did for you, can I encourage you that you know really that he is eager by his spirit to renew your passion for him and your zeal for him. As I wrap this up this morning, and I want to invite the band to come back up, I hope that you can see this passage has everything to do with worship. It's about our total confidence, our total life, being in Jesus and only in Jesus Christ. When we remember all that Jesus has done for us and we totally orientate ourselves to him, that is worship. When we put aside time to remember all that God has done for us, to restore us into relationship with him, we can't help but let that bubble over into praise and worship. So I've asked the band to start playing quietly before we go back into singing. And I just want to spend a bit of time recapping a few things that I've covered this morning. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and move. I want him to come and highlight where we need his power to help us change and to give us a greater passion for glorying in Jesus Christ. So if you're comfortable doing so, please can I ask you just to stay where you are and just close your eyes for me. to speak to some people and ask you this question. Are you familiar with and therefore bored with the message of Christ? Does it still make this 
awe and wonder bubble up inside you five years, 10 years, 40 years down the line, that a perfect God would reach down into your imperfection and make you perfect in his sight. Not only making you perfect, but naming you a son or daughter of God, giving you a status far higher than before. Is that boring and familiar, or is that exciting? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and give a fresh and deep reminder to these people of what Christ has done, of how far off we were, and yet how close you draw us now. Holy Spirit, come. To others, I ask this. Have you realized, or is this your first time of realizing, what Jesus Christ has done for you? Are you convinced that God can forgive you and you can be made perfect in his eyes and be made a son or daughter for the first time? Can I tell you this? God loves you. He wants you to talk to him and do so in your head. We call this praying. Acknowledge that you need his powerful love to forgive you the wrong things you've done. Tell him you choose to turn your life around and to love him. And then know this, he has forgiven you and know that he loves you. And finally, for those who get excited by Jesus and know that they are saved, let me ask you this, where do you need to watch out? because you're potentially trying to add to your salvation. Is our confidence really in Jesus Christ alone? That is a tough question, and I struggle with that. Holy Spirit, I pray, come. Come and show us where we don't trust you. Come and show us where those things we do because they please you have turned into divisive things that we actually rely on. And if we were to stop doing them, we might question if you actually still love us and if actually your death and resurrection really, truly was enough for us. Come and highlight those things in our heart, God. And as God highlights them, name them, confess them, and repent of them. And again, know that he is sufficient for you, he forgives you, and he loves you. Just going to give a bit more time for this. highlighting things to each of us. Talk to us this morning and help us do business with you. I'm going to ask the band to start leading us in a song. And once you feel that you've done business with God, then please feel free to stand and join in as we sing.